I uh, learned a long time ago when I came to faith in Christ. It took a little while, but, but I learned that I, I didn't have to check my brain at the door to follow Jesus. That, um, you know, we live in a world of skeptics and we're so educated in our culture and our lives. And, and, and I've, I've run into people who have said, you know what, it's irrational for you to believe in God. And, 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 and the truth is, though, um, there's a, there's, there are many reasons for my faith in Christ. And, and intellectually, there are reasons for my faith. Experientially, there are reasons for my faith. Um, rationally, there are reasons for my faith in God. And, 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 and you know, um, I'm thankful that the Lord moves us in, in the great commandment. You know, there's the great commission in Matthew 28, the great commandment in Mark 12, that we're to love the Lord with our, our heart our mind, our soul, and our strength. And, and, and we can be thinkers and rational, and we can have a faith in Christ that is vibrant and passionate and, and real. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for my, uh, my father-in-law because if you, if you know Paul, he has, he's deeper than his jokes. You know, if you, he's famous for his cheesy jokes. But... Uh, um, but one of the things that I love about what I've learned over the years from being in his family is the value of the dinner table. And we often sit around our dinner table and we bring up really, really good conversations. And, and I want to challenge you with this. This is something I've learned. And, and, and the dinner table is such a good opportunity to articulate faith in your family. And I would challenge you as a, as a grandparent or as a parent, to often sit around the dinner table with your family and, and not just uh, talk about the food, uh, but talk about your faith. Why do you believe in Jesus? What, your, your grandkids, grandparents, your grandkids need to know why you believe in Jesus and your story. They need to know that. Uh, parents, we need to often give our kids a reason for the hope that they have. You, you know, we are... Um, uh, this is a tough year for us. I mean, I'm, I'm a few months away from watching my son, who played guitar today, uh, graduate from high school. And it's like, oh my goodness, uh, where did the time go by? How did it go so fast? And, and you know, we, Robin and I often talk about, have we done enough talking to our kids about our faith and, and preparing them for life. Because I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's going to happen. My, it already has to some extent, but my kids are going to run into either professors or peers that will look at them and say, it's not rational for you to believe in God. And, and it's foolish for you to be a, a person of faith in the Bible. But, but the but, but, but what we found is as we talk about how God has moved in our, in our family's life, when, when I run into people that look at me and say, it's not rational for you to believe in God, I look at my life and my experience and I go, time out. It's not rational for me not to believe in God. 
I mean, it's, it's the most, to believe in the Lord is the most rational thing in my life because we've experienced God move in us. We've experienced God's strength. And, and we often sit around and talk about how God has moved and is moving in our lives. And so I would challenge us to, to make sure we don't overlook that in our families. And even today, try that. When you go to lunch today or, or, or and, and you know what, it's almost like I ought to say, moms and dads, you ought to have dinner together with your family, you know? That's crazy that we live in this day that we're so busy. We're like, yeah, we don't ever sit down together. You ought to reclaim that time. Because I want my kids growing up with this, with this story, their own story, of how God has moved in, in their lives. And, and, and you know, Last week, we looked at, at Paul, and we're, we're in Acts 22 today, but 21-22, turn there if you will, uh, Acts 21 with me. We're, even though we're going to uh, be end of chapter 22, uh, we, we, last week we looked at how Paul is, is now finished his missionary journeys. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and, and he's about to get a free trip to Rome. You know, he's in Jerusalem right now, and, and, and it's really smart of God to pay for his journey to Rome, and he's about to get a free trip uh, paid for by the government. So, um, and it's interesting, as Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, he's, he's traveling with a group of guys, and, and, um, and he's taking an offering to the, the Jews in Jerusalem as a kind of a a recognition, a solidarity. Let's let's work through this conflict that we've had together, and 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 he's so he's on his way. And as he's on his way, we looked at last week. He runs into this guy named Agabus, who says to Paul, uh, takes his 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 belt off, and he ties his hands, and he says, "Hey, this is what's going to happen to the owner of this belt." And Paul, Paul and his companions are saying, "Paul, don't go." Now, this makes sense. I mean, if you're, a, if you're on a mission trip with Paul, imagine you being on this mission trip with Paul. And Agabus comes up and makes this prophecy and says, yeah, you guys are going to, Paul's going to get arrested. And you're like, dude, I'm going with you. That may happen to me too, Paul. Let's not go, right? I mean, that's our natural response. Let's not go. Let's not go get arrested. If, if I said to you, hey, come on a mission trip with me and we're probably going to get arrested, who's going to sign up and go, ooh, can't wait? That'll be fun. That would be an experience. But Paul goes, and he says, you know, it's interesting as Paul looks at that experience. I love what he said in in Acts chapter 21, verse verse 12 and 13. Paul answered, and we're not going to, this is what we looked at last week. He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And I love this. It says, we ceased. Those, these are probably some of these guys, uh, Luke's writing this. He's traveling with Paul. He's like, Paul, let's not go get arrested. That, will, that doesn't sound fun. But we ceased to persuade him. We, we ceased in doing this because we couldn't persuade him. There's several lessons to learn from Paul. When Paul got these words from the Lord, they were tough words. And, and you know what? Paul looked at these words not as a prohibition, not as a let's not go, but as preparation for what God was preparing him to experience. 
And that's an important lesson from Paul. Another lesson we learn uh, from Paul is that Paul didn't measure his life by spiritual comfort, but by his divine calling. And this is, I love this about Paul. He's like, look, I, I'm, I'm going to fulfill the calling on my life. And, and as believers today, this is a, a great lesson for us. And, and, and I want you to notice in chapter 21, look at verse 27. Paul is on his way. He's in, he's in Jerusalem when seven days were almost completed in verse 27 of chapter 21. Um, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. So right here in 21, you see the prophecy of Agabus come to pass. Okay, here it is. Paul's been prepared for this. He's in the temple. Now the Jews see him. The whole crowd lays hands on him. Verse 30, then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. I mean, talk about making a difference here. Paul has stirred up the whole city. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. As they were seeking to kill him, Word came to the tri tribune of the cohort that was in, that Jerus that all Jerusalem was in confusion. So Paul again, he's like, "Oh my goodness, the whole city's in confusion." This leader, this uh, Roman official, the, the the tribune came up, and they what they did is the they had to keep order because he was responsible to Rome. He he arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with chains. Here's Agabus's prediction coming true. Now, Paul was prepared for this moment. He inquired of who he was and what he had done. Uh, verse 33, some of the crowd were shouting one thing, some another, as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Isn't that interesting about culture and society? People are just stirred up. They're mad. The whole thing's in confusion. People don't really know what's going on. And Verse 37, as, Paul, as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something? Which I love about Paul. I mean, here's Paul in a, in a like if, if everybody in this room was mad at me and were trying to kill me, I, I think the last thing I'd want to do is, can I talk to you? That'd be cool. Um, I'd be like, get me out of here. I mean, let me out of here. But Paul, I love, I, I want to be like him because he's like, can I talk to them? And, and um, he said, the, the tribune, the, the leader, he doesn't even know who Paul is. He says, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt that led 4,000 men of assassins to go out into the wilderness? So, so this tribunal, this leader thinks Paul is like this terrorist. Okay, but Paul's like, no, man, I, 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 I speak Greek. I, Paul replied, I'm a Jew from Tarsus of, Cicil, of, of Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And this guy was shocked. Okay, talk. Oh, my goodness. And, and I love this. And, there was a, and when there was a great hush. He addressed them in the Hebrew language. This is such a cool moment. The, the cities, the people are like freaking out and they're mad and they don't even know why, why they're there. And all of a sudden, Paul gets up and what happens? Uh, and a hush, a loud hush comes over the city. I mean, think about that. The silence was just as loud as the confusion. And I think it's amazing. Now, this morning... We're going to turn to Acts 22. 
And I, we're going to read verses 1 through 5. So would you stand with me and let's read God's word together here. It says this, Paul writes, or Luke writes, Brothers and fathers, Paul said, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear witness, from them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now, what's Paul doing here? What's he doing? Paul is, is, is sharing his testimony, right? I mean, what, what he's not doing, what he doesn't do, when he, and it's amazing to me that as this crazy scene unfolds, as Paul is being arrested, everybody's in confusion, Roman leaders come in and say, we got to get some order here because this is crazy. He can't even get the story right. He can't even figure out what's going on. He doesn't even know who Paul is. He thinks he's this Egyptian. So it's, it's crazy. But then all of a sudden, Paul gets up to speak, and God was so in, in, empowering in his life that a hush comes over. And when he starts speaking Hebrew, they got even more quiet, the Bible says. And, um, and what Paul doesn't do, he doesn't say, let me tell you about the law. Let me tell you about Abraham, about Isaac. He doesn't, he doesn't articulate some theological issue right here. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but, but, but what does Paul do? He, he simply starts sharing his testimony. And you know what's interesting about his testimony? His testimony is not, it's inarguable. You know, if, if you and I are, are going through a conversation with somebody and we bring up a theological issue, that theological issue may be arguable. If we bring up a an interpretation of a passage of Scripture, that may be arguable. We could argue about that. But, but when you share your testimony, you realize that's not arguable, right? That's an inarguable position. If I, I've had people in my life, very educated people that looked at me and said, Chris, it doesn't make sense for you to believe in Jesus. But then I say, but wait a minute, I have a testimony of God at work in my life. And you can't argue against that. It's an inarguable position because it's my story. It's my life. And this is exactly what Paul is doing. And, 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 and you know what? I, I was there when Jesus changed my life. You know, I was there this week as, as I looked at my children. And on Wednesday, I had to stand and preach the funeral of a very close family friend. And as I was planning this service with the Sullivan family, they said, would, would, your, would your family be willing to sing? And I went home and said, hey, guess what? You got to sing on Wednesday. 
And I looked at my 18-year-old son, I said, you got to drive every bit of this music, and it better be good. And, and you got to learn these songs in this emotional moment. And I was like, man, I, I need your help. And we watched God strengthen us through this very sad time. And I don't know, maybe it's going to come out in counseling later that my dad, for my kids, my dad made me do this. I don't know. Um, but, um, but I said to them after the service, I said, thank you so much. I said, I'm praying that God somehow uses this for good in your life. But I'll tell you, we, we watched the Lord strengthen us. And I've looked at my children this week and said, God did this for us. Let's never forget it. So when somebody comes at our family and says, look, you know, it's not rational for you to believe in God. We say, wait, my testimony, the testimony of my life says something different. And this is why our testimony is so powerful. Look at verse 1. Paul starts out as he shares with these guys, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. He starts out respectfully, brothers, fathers. I mean, these are Jews. These are leaders. Like Paul loved these people. He was these people. And so he's brothers, fathers, those of you that you know me. He says, I I'm hear the defense I now make before you, excuse me, that word defense, apologia, which means apologetics. You probably are familiar with that term. Apologetics does not mean, hey, I'm sorry. Apologetics is here's the reason for my faith. And I pray that all of us are able to articulate the reason for our faith. And I want you to know this doesn't happen accidentally. It happens happens intentionally. We need to be thinking about this and and use our brain and and look at this. And, And what Paul does, he's, he's, um, he, he knows God's using him. He's using his story to speak to these people. And this is one of the patterns in the book of Acts is that, is that God's preparing his people to be used to speak to other people. And do you know that that's the pattern that still is in play today? You know, that God still is at work using people to speak to people about Jesus, and that's the call of our lives. And this is why if I'm going to be a faithful pastor, then we will do everything we can to prepare this church to be witnesses for Christ, to be able to use their story and understand, God, here's how you've moved in my life. And I want every, it's my prayer that everyone in our church is able to look at their story and communicate it to others. Because it's the story of God at work in our lives. And I love what Paul does. He, he first of all says, you know who I am. In some ways, Paul has to clear up his name. He's like, you guys know me. You know what has happened in my life. And my prayer today is that we understand the testimony tactic, that we, we use our testimony. And, and, and point number one is very important. And we see Paul doing this. Paul is saying, I got to clear up my name. I, I got to point out, you know who I am. You know, if we're going to be effective witnesses for the Lord, do you know that we have to pay attention to the meaning of our name? What does your name mean? I mean, you know, I can tell you my name is Chris, Christopher, which the root is Christian. My mother, who was a, loves the Lord, named me Chris. 
And, but you know what? That's not really what my name means. What does your name mean to the people that know you? Because, you know, when your name is mentioned, not just the etymology of your name, when your name is mentioned, what do people think about? What comes to people's mind? Godly, faithful, crooked, immoral, arrogant. What, what comes to your mind? What does your name mean? You know, as a Christian, we've got to pay attention to the meaning of our name, and I love what Paul's doing here. He's like, let me clear up my name for you. Let me remind you of who I am. I used to be Saul, but now I'm Paul, right? My name changed. My life changed. And Paul was faithful to pay attention to the meaning of his name. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Proverbs 3, 3 and 4, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. And I pray that if, we, if we're going to be the witnesses God's called us to be in 2019, if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, we've got to pay attention to the meaning of our name. And I love what Paul's doing. And Paul understood that God was writing a story through his life. And can I tell you something? That, do you know that God is writing a story in you? That, that your life is a story. And some, I, I, I meet people all the time and say, that, that say, you know what, my testimony's not really cool. And we celebrate this in church. We, we pull up a, a guy that was dr a drug dealer and, and man, his life totally changed or he was this wild life and then it totally changed. And you know what? Um, I think the greatest testimonies are those that grew up in church and that walk with, came to faith as a child and, and then walked with the Lord for a lifetime. Those are the greatest testimonies. And I want to challenge you to realize that you have a great testimony. I don't care where it's been. I don't care what it is. Your testimony is phenomenal, and it's worth sharing. And Paul was... Uh, Paul understood God's writing was writing a story through him. I want you to see God's writing a story in you. And this is very valuable. And, and it's the reason 1 Peter 3.15 is a, a great verse for us. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. You have hope. We've got to give an answer. But we need to do it with gentleness and respect, he says. And, and when you look at what Paul did here, you can break his testimony down as he stands in front of these people into three, three areas. He, he begins with his conduct before Christ. Look at what I did. And then he talked about his conversion experience when God came to him the moment he met Christ. And, and then he goes into how he was commissioned by Christ, how he served the Lord. And I just want you to see today that your testimony is powerful. And, and what is our testimony? It's, it's simply this. Your, your testimony is simply sharing what you've seen, heard, and experienced. And one of the things I want you to do, and I pray it's a common practice for us, that we sit with our kids and our grandkids and we tell them what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've experienced with the Lord. This is powerful. powerful. And, and I want you to see uh, a credible testimony of a changed life. That is hard to deny. And, and so the question is, how has Jesus changed your life? You know what was really cool about the funeral on Wednesday? Is in many ways it was a little bit of a, of a, a reunion of some of my former students in our ministry. And um, in walked Sarah Quinn. 
Sarah Quinn is a, was a beautiful young lady from Yukon High School, and, and, and she started coming to our church because Jennifer Bechtel, Jennifer Jewell is her name, Jennifer uh, was a friend of Sarah. You know what Sarah said to her on Wednesday? She walked up to Jennifer and said, Jennifer, thank you so much for investing in my life. Thank you for inviting me to church. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Do you know that I would never have come to Jesus if God wouldn't have put you in my life? I thought, that's beautiful. That's, that's true for all of us. And, and I think, this is why I think our 2019 challenge is so important. I want all of us to see that God has put us in the lives of people that don't know him for the purpose of speaking through us that they'll come to Christ. And so let's pray about our one. Who is our one? That's our 2019 gospel challenge that, that somehow, someday, this year, we will pray, God, would you allow us to be in the... In the moment when you see some, when I get to lead somebody to Jesus, would you pray for your one this year? And the idea is to invest in them, to bring them into your home, not as a project. It's not like, I mean, Sarah didn't look at Jennifer and say, oh, I was just your project. No, no, she wasn't. She was her friend. And she wanted her friend to come to Jesus and go to heaven. And so I, I, I get this all the time. People, oh, well, don't make people your project. No, they're not my project. They're my friends. I care about their eternal destiny. And this is what Paul was doing. Paul's like, brothers, fathers, hear my defense. And I pray that it's common for us to look at people and say, I want you to hear my defense. I'm telling you what, without apology, I'm looking at my kids going, I want you to know my defense for Christ. I want you to know that I am passionate about this and that you should believe this. And I look at parents and they say, oh, we're just going to let our kids figure out faith on their own. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm not doing that with their driving. You know, we're not doing that with algebra. Oh, go figure it out on your own, buddy. I mean, I can't figure it out. I hate algebra. I hate, hate it. But um, we don't do that with anything. Why should we do that with the Lord? Without apology, I'm going to do my best to influence my kids and influence everybody I know. I, I, I'm not apologetic of the fact when I meet somebody that doesn't know Jesus, I want to influence them to know him. I think as a Christian, this is the call of our lives. I don't think you can be a Christian without, even, without a passion to say, I want to influence people to know Christ, to follow him. Why? Because I love people. I love Jesus, and I want them to know the truth. And, and this is why, goodness gracious, I don't understand someone that looks at me and says, yeah, I followed Jesus, but my life has not been changed. That makes no sense to me. Because how can the Holy Spirit enter a person's life without changing them? It's impossible. It's absolutely impossible for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came into my life, guess what? He convicted me of sin. He, he disciplines me. When I start rebelling, I stumble every time because the Holy Spirit causes me to stumble in disobedience, and, and I'm grateful for the stumbling. And that's why I love Brennan Manning. There's a quote by Brennan Manning. I'll put it on the screen that says, the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. 
And I, I just want to stand before you and say that if, if your life has not been changed by Christ, then, uh, then you need to evaluate whether Jesus is in your life. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect because none of us are going to be perfect. We're going to stumble. We're going to grow. And, we, and I'm not saying that. But I'm saying when God shows up, there's evidence of the Spirit of God. And so I pray that we see this. It goes on verse 2. And when they heard that he was addressing them in Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of the fathers, being zealous for God as you are this day. I persecuted this way to death, to the death. The, the way is, well, it was a, a derogatory term that they called Christians. Oh, you're followers of the way. And Paul says, look, I persecuted the way to the point of death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and whole council of elders can bear me witness. Because all those elders, all those leaders there were like, dude, we know you and we want to kill you because you've changed on us. He's like, I have. From them, I received letters to the brothers. And, and I, I'm, I bet he's pointing out from him and him, they gave me letters. And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. And as I was on my way to draw near, verse 6, to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine this moment for Paul? I mean, here he was with letters in his hand. He's already killed Stephen. And all of a sudden, he realizes, oh, crud, I'm on the wrong team. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, who I've been persecuting, is standing right in front of me right now. Now, those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? You know what's interesting to me? Do you know this is one of the marks of a believer? The, the, you can tell if you're a believer in Christ if you look and say, all right, God, what do you want me to do? You know what? When, when you come to Jesus, that's exactly what happens. You say, oh, Lord, I, I need you. What do you want me to do? Beautiful picture. And the Lord said to me, rise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand to those, by those who were with me and came to Damascus. In verse 12, and one Ananias. I'll tell you what, when I get to heaven, I want to meet Ananias. One Ananias, he, he's a devout man according to the law, spoke well of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear his voice from his mouth, for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And Paul was saved. Man, his story, his testimony of what he's seen and heard. Now, point number two, and we're going to fly through the rest of this. The point number two is I want to challenge you, like Paul, learn to tell your own story in a clear and compelling way. 
can you tell your story in a clear way, in a compelling way? Because I'm telling you, your story is compelling. Yeah, I didn't receive a, a bright light when I got saved. I, I didn't have this road to Damascus experience. I was in Moore, Oklahoma as an eight-year-old boy realizing, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go to heaven. I went upstairs and talked to my mom, and she opened the Bible and says, well, Chris, here's what the Bible says about heaven. And I said, I think that's what I need to do. And as an eight-year-old boy, I came to faith in Christ. And you know what? I don't know all the things that God's protected me from. I mean, I was probably a pretty good kid. My teachers liked me for the most part, except my math teachers. And um, people in my grade school and high school knew I was a Christian. I wasn't perfect. Well, you can find a lot of people that can tell you some negatives about me. But you know what? I can remember as a young boy going, I think I'm going to follow Jesus. And man, I don't regret it one bit. And you know, that's interesting about my life. I've met with a lot of people. And I've had a lot of people come to me in my life and say, you know what, I didn't follow Christ in this and I regret it. You know, in all of my life, I've never had somebody come to me and say, I followed Christ and done what he wanted me to do and I wish I wouldn't have. I've not had one person say that to me. And I'm telling you, the story when you came to Christ is a, is a big deal. And can I give you an assignment? In your worship guide is this. And it's a way for you to sit down and articulate your story. And it's a piece of paper, one short piece of paper. I think you ought to be able to tell your story in a matter of just two minutes to somebody. I think you ought to have a medium version of your story about how God has saved you and God has moved in your life. I think you ought to have a longer version of your story. I think on a, on a moment's notice, every one of us ought to be able to sit down and say, let me tell you about my, my journey with God. And I want to challenge you this week to start that process. And, and you can simply follow this journey. We give this to our new members now. We ask our new members to walk through this. And I want all of you that have been members a long time to all be able to do this. And it's simply this idea, what was my life like before I met Christ? How did I come to know Christ personally? And then after I met Christ, what difference has it made? What difference has it made since the Holy Spirit came into your life? And I want to challenge you to go home and articulate this and write this out. Do you know that there was a couple years ago in our, our new members class, we, we gave this assignment and there was a lady that was writing this out going, okay, I'll write this out. And as she gave, came to this journey of, she's like, I don't think I've ever met Christ. And she came to faith through writing this out. You know what? That may happen to you. You may sit down with this exercise and, and start going, hmm, I don't know that I have come to faith in Christ. But you know what I, real quickly, as I think about what Paul did, point number three is this. Um, not only should you learn to tell your story in a clear and compelling way, but be certain to explain the points of the gospel. What I love about what Paul did is Paul sat down and said, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you how my, my life 
intersected with Christ. And that's where what Chad walked through with the three circles, this app that we challenge you to, to experience, this is exactly what Paul did. Paul said, look, I'm a Jew. Uh, God designed me. God made me. And God created me. And Rhonda, if you'd put that, that, that shot up, on, it's a picture of, of exactly what Chad went through. Paul said, look, God, you made me. You designed me. But, but I've sinned. And Paul realized, look, I've been sinning. I've been going against God. And, and then I, I'm broken. I'm on the wrong team. I'm, I'm not doing this right. And, and, and then this moment comes where he had to repent and believe. And, and then as he repented and believed, what? The gospel that, that God came. God entered human history. He came for you. God came here because he loves you. And he repented and he, and he believed in Jesus. He, he trusted him for his salvation. And, and now he's discovering and pursuing God's plan for his life. And, and that's why I think this app is so powerful. And, and I'm not saying that you should have to sit down with somebody and say, let me show you this app. I'm saying you should know your story and make sure you know the points of the gospel. Folks, we're sinners in need of a savior. Do you know that? Have you come to recognize that you were a sinner in need of a savior? Have you come to realize that you're broken? We're broken without Jesus. And you know what's amazing about God? God is in the middle of taking our brokenness and putting it together. And I want you to know something. At this church, none of us have it all together, including me. None of us have it all together. We are a people in the middle of watching God put us together. And so I don't want you to think we're a church full of perfect people. We are absolutely not. But let me tell you something. We serve a perfect Savior who came for us to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And that moment when we repented and believed and said, Lord, I trust you. I surrender to you. I came to Jesus, and guess what? He didn't turn me away. And I want you to know, if you come to Jesus, he will not turn you away. And I plead with you, come to him. See him. 